In 2018, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office released a 1,000-page report detailing decades of sexual assault and cover-ups committed by Roman Catholic clergy. Like the reports and investigations that preceded it, it's fading from memory. Swears and Prayers is a conversation with Catholics about their relationship with the Church and their struggles with faith in the face of this ongoing and unresolved crisis. These are everyday people and their real stories. Our next guest is in her 20s. She grew up in Ohio where she attended Catholic schools. She lives in Charlottesville. Big family. I'm one of five kids uh, growing up in the Cleveland area and... My mom is also one of five kids, and most of her siblings live in the Cleveland area. All of her siblings live within two hours. So, uh, big family, lots of siblings, lots of cousins. Yeah. I am very Irish-American. My dad is actually, was born in Ireland, okay. and so I'm an Irish citizen. Very good. And my mom is half Irish, half Italian. Oh. Standard Catholic yes. heritage. Very, like, industrial, like, northern, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, way. That, I'm yeah. only missing the Polish. Yes, I know. I was going to say, where's the Polish aspect of it? Yeah, it's similar to, my, like, you know, Pennsylvania. It's like, it's all, like, Irish, Absolutely. Polish, it's our Italian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, so you grew up in that world. Did you go to Catholic school? I did. 12 years of Catholic school. With single sex or? Um, no, actually. I, I mean, K through eight was the parochial school, and then high school, I debated for a while if I wanted to go all girls or co-ed, but all my siblings had done the co-ed thing, so I did as well. Yeah. Went to Franciscan High School. Oh, you did? Loved it. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we went to school as a Protestant school, uh, university. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because in my mind, at the time, it was branching out. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, yeah, so I went to a Lutheran college was tiny and adorable and um mm -hmm. so when you were an undergrad were you still did you still like go to mass like did you do all that yeah Yeah. if you went by uh surveys there were more catholics on campus than lutherans or any other denomination um but we probably had you know 30 to 50 at mass on sundays and i was really involved with the newman club and sang for the masses and all that jazz so like that's. I just kind of want to talk a little bit about like a, a Catholic who goes to a non-Catholic school mm-hmm. and um, like joining the Newman Club or like because for me I was like I went to mass but I didn't I don't even know if we had a Newman Club because there were so few Catholics mm-hmm. but um like I think because I, I think a lot of people might be like oh you leave this Catholic world you go you make a choice to not go to a Catholic school like why do you like. Like, did you, like, was it, like, during orientation? You're like, I'm going to go with my people. Like, here we are. Yeah, Yeah. a little bit. I definitely, I wanted to be open and have friends or a context that wasn't necessarily Catholic, but I knew that I wanted to stay Catholic. I wasn't looking to, you know, use this as an experimentation period. So I did, during orientation, I was like, Newman Club checked. I will be there on Tuesday. (laughs) Um... Now what I'm going to be doing. And exactly. You, and you sang. Like, you have a good voice. So yeah. that was your thing. Mm-hmm. I, sing, I sang throughout my college experience in the university choir and also at Mass on Sundays. And still sing now. Yeah. yeah. When occasion calls for it. And I think that, mm-hmm. I think it's funny about church, like about Mass, is that I like, one of the, like, 
top three reasons to go is to sing. I'm not a great singer, but I love singing. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like, that's where you can belt it out. Yes, it's true. I mean, church is kind of a rare space yeah. in our culture because singing isn't something that you can do in public unless you have a good voice or you're at church. Yeah, it's like you have to be performing mm-hmm. or else it's kind of like, what are you doing? It's like I saw a meme on Facebook about how like kids... They dance before they walk, and they sing before they talk, and they make art before they write. So why do we pretend that those things are not something every human can do? Right, or that you can carry over into your adult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, we make it about performance and doing it well, but it's not really. No, it's Mm -hmm. about like singing with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's interesting that like going to college and being like. Yeah, I gotta find my people, and mm-hmm. that's where I'm gonna go. Yeah. And you said you are. It wasn't like you're like I'm. I'm solid with my beliefs. I'm good. Like I don't need to like experiment. Like I shouldn't say even experiment, but you're like I'm not leaving anything behind. I'm right. taking this stuff with me into the next phase of my life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd had good formation, the Franciscans and all that. I mean, okay, I didn't actually take any classes. The only class I took with a Franciscan was a Spanish class. Right. But the Franciscan environment had prepared me well. Um, yeah, I, I knew where I stood. What about the, I mean, like, you probably didn't have a choice when you were a kid to be like, I want to go to the Dominicans or the Franciscans, or did you? <laughs> and, like, so I, you said your formation was good. Um, would you say because of your experience, your exposure to the Franciscans? And, like... I think my formation was good in part because of my exposure to the Franciscans, it was really clear, because we were learning about the Franciscan charism as well, to really clearly be able to see this is an order who, at least at their roots, are trying to rebuild the church and live a more authentic faith. And so, kind of at that point in life, when you start to be like, oh, people might not always be, people might be a little hypocritical, to have that witness of St. Francis and St. Clair um, was really helpful. But I honestly think I was predisposed to continue in the faith. There are people who went to my high school who are no longer practicing Catholics. Shocking. (laughs) I've never heard that happen. Um, But you said it's kind of like an orientation for you. Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you said the the charism, as we talk about, um, of the Franciscans. Yes. Can you just explain that? So for me, and I'm now a secular Franciscan, so I've got my Tau cross, and people ask about that. I want you to explain that. Exactly. How do we how do we do this like chronologically? So, so talk to me. What I'm gonna so I'm just I'll when people ask what the heck it is I'm wearing around yes. my neck, I tell them it's a tau cross. And it's a what cross? A tau cross. T A U. T A U. So like the Greek. Like tau. the Greek mm-hmm. letter. Mm-hmm. And it's also a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and as one friar explained, it's the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet or the smallest letter or some kind of symbol of Minority lesserness in the Franciscan tradition. So Francis adopted it for that reason, and also because in the book of Ezekiel, I think, the prophet says to, for those who have, who are converting, who are turning their life back to God and recommitting themselves to the covenant, to mark their forehead with the sign of the Tau. Huh. Um, so that's where the Tau cross comes from. But I usually just tell people, oh, it's from this saint, Francis, who was all about humility and simplicity. Uh, so he believed that he was not better than 
any of his brothers and sisters, any other human, because all of us were created in God's image. And he extended that to the rest of nature and said, well, if God made me and God made that tree, then I, then that tree is also glorifying God as much as I can. Um, and that's why he called nature brother and sister. So, so for like me... The whole like, canticle of the sun. The canticle yes. of the sunness. Yes. Um, so for me, the Franciscan char- charism is about humility at its core. Um, Can you explain what charism means in our context? And a charism, <laughs> absolutely. A charism is sort of the flavor of spirituality of a particular branch. Uh, is a flavor of spirituality. And within the Catholic Church, it tends to refer to orders. Or like the founder's philosophy. Yeah, the found, yeah, their particular take on it, or even the way it's expressed today, because the way that Franciscans look today are vastly different than the way they looked in the 13th century. Um, yeah, so like it's not as though, you know, St. Benedict founded the Benedictines on, and his uh, word was ora et labora, right. prayer and work. And Francis said, Pax et bonum, peace and all good. And it's not as though Benedict was against peace or Francis was against work. In fact, both of them very much for those. But sort of their emphasis or the um, flavor flavor of the ice cream. The charism. charism. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's a perfect word. That's why we say charism. Mm Because it doesn't, other English words don't don't capture it. It's so true. That's good. Mm-hmm. So the charism of, of the Franciscans was something you were exposed to when you were a kid. And then yeah. you're like, you're at college. You're just like, I'm going to, were there Franciscans around your Lutheran world there? No, not at all. Okay. okay. There, there might have been within a hundred miles, but I didn't have a car. There were none yeah, in Yeah, that town. was not your thing. Like you weren't really involved with that. You were like, here's my community. I was like, going to be Catholic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did that like play out for you? That was good. I mean, it was interesting because for the first time, I mean, I had had a I had literally two non-Catholic friends in high school, and that was great. But they were vastly outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And in college, I probably had two or three deeply Catholic friends, right. and the rest of us were the rest of the folks were not. Um, and that was interesting. I do remember, I felt like college was the first time that I actually had to make a decision mm. to be Catholic, as opposed to just going with the flow. Right, right. Um, and I was sort of happy about that. I mean, that's when I came to realize that faith needs to be a choice and needs to be on purpose. Right. If you're just going with the flow, that's not inherently bad, but it is... Also, not inherently good. So, choices. Mm-hmm. Did this mean things like, because um, you know, like the, the Catholic stance on many things mm-hmm. is countercultural. Yes. Um, and did that? Okay, so it's kind of like making the choice to be a faithful Catholic in college. Mm-hmm. Like, what did that mean aside from doing the, the Newman stuff? Going to mass, yeah, <laughs> and going to mass, <laughs> and wearing the putting the Ash Wednesday stuff on, and everyone being like, "What's that?" Well, yeah. it was a Lutheran school, so actually oh, everybody had ashes okay. anyhow. <laughs> Everyone's on board; no one cared about that, so that's yeah. that's fine. So, like, uh-huh. what does that uh, mean? Like, choosing faith in a non-Catholic environment. Um, for me, that meant being. I mean, yeah, the standard stuff, but then also being willing to defend my faith. So, like. I definitely remember 
at dinner one time, very particularly, you know, someone was like, oh, Catholics are all hypocrites. And I, like, almost broke down crying at the dinner table. I was like, that's not true. Um, And sort of saying, you know, I know that we've done some bad things, but there is grace and there is goodness here, and you can't lump all Catholics together without getting me in that. And we're friends, so you don't want to do that. Right. (laughs) Sort of thing. Uh, So how did that conversation, like, net out? Net, net. We ended up friends, and, and... but there was definitely a choice to, uh, for me to defend my faith and also to kind of, I don't even know the word, like to acknowledge the, the baggage, which is something you never are asked to do in purely Catholic environments, which kind of echoes on some stuff we're probably going to talk about later. Yes. Um, let's... Okay, so you're saying that the people who called you out about hypocrisy were mm-hmm. non-Catholics. Right. And it's not, because we don't talk about the um, inherent, um, some of our structural problems. No, it's not with pleasant. With Yes. But, but, but people will, like people will, I mean, non, non-Catholics will just be like, oh, what about mm-hmm. XYZ? Right, and I think it was honestly sure. the abuse grace of Sovo too, <laughs> he was referencing. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Yep. Um... And I, we're going to delve, but um, I am interested. So you're you're someone who so okay. So you were in college during when that? I no, no actually, I was. You were younger. I was in, yeah, okay. I was in grade school. So you were in grade. Oh, so you're in grade school. So grade, I didn't know that. Grade. I thought that you meant that you had that conversation. No, okay. but he was just like referencing. Oh, all Catholics are hypocrites. That's why I think church is dumb. And I mean, it's not worth anything. And it's a little bit like Karl Marx. Or, opioid of the people sure. like this is just a thing you do to make yourself feel better and there's nothing to it but it also lends itself to hypocrisy yes and I was like no see and this I wasn't making any assumptions about your age so don't you're fine don't get crazy um although I wouldn't blame you I just and I think it's interesting because you because someone who is your age mm-hmm. um we make an assumption and I'm not going to say how old you are but um someone who's of a millennial. I am a millennial. Perspective. Yes. Okay. Um, that I think a lot of older people make the assumption that like, okay, these people are steeped in a, like a certain culture and mm. um, they're not like you, they don't have these types of conversations. Mm. Like it's almost like we're past it. Really? No, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there that yeah. you think that younger people are almost like, um, I don't know, like this maybe maybe making some assumptions. Mm-hmm. I don't really but like that conversation that you had is a conversation that I had mm-hmm. like 20 years earlier, Correct. you know, yeah. and, uh, and you're kind of like, well, I thought that everyone tells you that, oh, we're eventually going to get over religion. You know what uh, I mean? That's yes. what I meant in that way. Like people are like, oh, as people get smarter and more educated, like they're going to get past religion and like mm-hmm. this won't even be like educated people won't even bother having these conversations. So right. it's like you are defending the faith in 2000. 10 or whenever this mm-hmm. conversation happened as I did in like 1990 right <laughs> you know and it's like I don't know if I'm making any sense but no yeah but it's like um, we're called it's part of our duty mm-hmm. I guess to have these conversations right and I think and it's an eternal thing like I mean we're only talking about a span of 20 years but this also went on 50 years ago it'll mm-hmm. go on 50 years from now like and we're the people having the conversations yes the lay people mm-hmm. okay okay 
So and I don't know where I, t I took that, but if you want to respond however you feel like it, that's... Yeah. I think... Hmm. Well, we are the ones that... I think that... Uh, in my brain, yes. In my brain, it was easier 50, 60 years ago when every single person participated in church. But you're right. That's not entirely true because... I, that was just going with the flow as opposed to making a choice. Um, and that doesn't necessarily lead to any more faithfulness than today's culture does. It might lead to more appearance of faithfulness, but not any reality. And so having these conversations, I think, is at, is at least more honest um, for people to be able to say, hey, I think you're full of it. And someone who has faith to say, I don't think so, and here's why. Um, there's a part of me that appreciates that because then at least you can tell yeah. who believes what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think people are surprised that these Catholic, I mean, you kind of grew up in a Catholic enclave, would you say? Yeah. Um, and you're a young, like, you're a millennial. And, like, mm -hmm. so I think a lot of people would still be like, oh, those places still exist? Like, that's weird. Like, that's a remnant from the 40s and 50s. Right, yeah. Um, because I think it's like, yeah, like you were saying about if you're surrounded all by Catholics who are also, this isn't in your era or my era either, is you had like your books that you could read, you mm -hmm. had your educational institutions that you were allowed to go to, you had the conversation, like you weren't allowed to go into a Protestant church, you weren't allowed to, um, you know, certainly like marry outside the faith. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're exposed to other people. And so hence, it's like, that yeah, it's like your your faith is more um, of a choice, mm -hmm. and you might actually be exposed rather than have like this. We're all together, and we don't we only socialize with each other. We don't talk to other people. We if I see you in mass, like that's enough. Like right. we don't engage further than that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm just trying to. I, I'm, I'm I'm interested in this mm -hmm. at, at the um, younger people being still enculturated and. The Catholic enclave yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So you came from that, and uh, you were defending your faith valiantly in during so college. And but what else? Like, was it like? Did were you had that conversation with your friend? Mm -hmm. Like, how else did it like come out that you were like, "This is I'm making a choice for faith." I mean, it mostly, you know dated a guy and we didn't sleep together. Right, well, I, mean, I don't want you to say anything that you don't feel comfortable with, but I think that that's, that's actually very... Yeah. That's choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I dated a couple guys. didn't sleep with any of them. Right. Well, that's countercultural. It, it is. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think uh, I was certainly in my close friend group. I was the token religious person. I was certainly the person who identified with my faith the most and tried to practice more than anything I would just um, yeah one of two there were two of us who maybe did but by and large there most of the folks at college particularly and my friend group in particular were just like yeah faith is a thing and maybe I sort of kind of believe it but right now I don't need to pay attention to that um, and so Sometimes I might be people's moral compass, but more often than not, I was just there to provide curiosity facts. Like, oh yes, today is the feast of 
but that's Saint Ignatius of Loyola. So did you find that like people knowing you as like a, like a practicing Catholic like mm-hmm. gave you some cover like for those like you know like being like I don't have sex. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you know, I go to church, so you know, like that's really not even on the table. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for like, sure. Well, that's actually valuable, so helpful, right? Yeah. Like choices and decisions about sex in particular yeah. are important and personal and consent's important. But if you are, I, I can't, I can imagine the pressure being much higher. If there's like quote no reason like you're not even Catholic why do you even care yeah, we should yeah. have sex I hope that's not the truth but I believe I imagine it would be but see I think that that's like an under discussed um, thing that is actually a positive thing for people it is that it's um, super helpful my I have similar experiences mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you're visibly practicing your faith like. And people are like, does it mean what I think it means? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> so, yes. Really. But then you can always just kind of, I don't know, and it's not fall back. It's more like it gives you, it gives you cover, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's for your protection, I think, because not everyone is ready to like, partake in the panoply of sexual like, experiences at, mm-hmm. at a young age or at, at really. Any age. Any age mm-hmm. that they're not. And I do think that having a, like a philosophy or a religion to back it up, mm-hmm. it does, you know, you could be labeled like a prude or whatever, but you're like, you know what? Yeah, actually being a prude is part of my religion. So <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Like, that's where we are. Yes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it usually um, expresses something so repressive. Right. And no, I didn't feel that way. I remember in high school having a conversation with a good friend about how neat it would be to be a nun uh, with, you know, in part because then you could have the habit and then, like, literally no one would care what you looked like. Wouldn't that be awesome? I had the thoughts, those thoughts, too. <sighs> so great. And, like, you know, Muslim women with the burqa in particular, like, yes, I don't think that it should be necessarily a requirement all the time, but I think that that's kind of freeing. Yeah. And I think it's like You're also You're not going to get catcalled. Well, you may. You might. There's a bunch of, you will. There's a bunch of freakazoids it. out there, but let's be honest. in high school, I didn't think you would. I know. And that was really nice. Yeah, you're like, hey, I can escape womanhood. Because womanhood sucks mm-hmm. in, the, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think about, like, today, like, the idea of, like, you know, gender non-conforming women, especially. And I'm like, in a funny way, the Catholic Church anticipated that by having nuns <laughs> you're basically allowed to have a separate life away from men mm-hmm. um and you're allowed to study mm-hmm. um I'm not, I'm not like putting a rosy pic- i'm not putting a hundred percent rosy picture on this because a lot of people were also shunted into that life because they're like you're not sure. going to get married like you're better smart- go do something yeah you're a smart girl that is going to be too much role for a husband mm-hmm. so go be a nun um or you're not coming to terms with your sexuality so or we have too many children in this family you're going to do that yeah they were like, I, I'm going to give my kids to the church, like that mentality. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, because um, I just remember the people who educated me, I was Sister of St. Joseph. It's mm. like, they all had like PhDs. They were like not to be messed with people. I actually know? have a friend who just entered the candidacy with the Sisters of St. Joseph. So oh, that no makes way. me really happy that you were educated by yes, SSJs. Them and Sisters of Mercy oh, for me. And fun. it's like, and at the time, like, you don't really understand, like, okay, like, 
like you're saying, the characterism of the right. order. You're mm-hmm. like, I don't know, they wear blue, and the other one wears <laughs> black. I don't really understand. Yes. Um, but no, I really feel like that was, um, it's an interesting, and I know I'm talking too much, but it's an interesting to see as a woman or a girl, like a, a whole world of women. I'm saying like the order sisters, not yeah. not the ones who are necessarily going to grade school. Like I went to schools where like the order was like headquartered there. Yeah. Oh, cool. So like yeah. the um, sisters of mercy, they're they're whatever North American like mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know what they call them headquarters. Mother house. <laughs> Mother house was at my grade school, and it's like so you see this whole society of women, and they're the ones in charge. And the mm-hmm. priest comes in to do mass, but like that's about it. Yes. And then he gets in the car and goes away. No. Um, when boys I... are not around. Like it's a whole. That is society, you know what I mean? Yeah. That is pretty, and I never would have thought of that, but yeah, especially in a single gender school, that makes it even more of a strong witness of like, yep, we can do this on our own. Yeah. For me, a thing that I've really grown into, and I don't know if I've articulated it like this before, but in the same way that like learning that the ladies I was working with in prison were regular people and being reminded of that and coming to love and care about them, <laughs> I sort of needed to do that with people who were wealthy and find yeah. out they were kind of regular people and also have problems and right. connect and build a real relationship with them. Um, a part of what I want to do and I hope that I do is to treat everyone equally sounds really superficial but um, to really kind of have everyone be brothers and sisters Hmm. and so yesterday I had somebody in my office talk about emergency financial assistance and he's like I've never asked for this before I feel really weird about this I don't like this I never thought I'd be in this position and I said hey we're siblings you and I you're my brother I'm your sister I'm gonna help you out with this we are all part of the body of Christ together or rather I'm not gonna help you out with this the church is gonna help sure, you out sure, with yeah. this. Uh, we're all part of the body of Christ together and this is where we're at today. We're going to be somewhere else tomorrow. Um, this is how we love and care about each other. And I respect your feelings, and uh, and it's okay that you feel that way. But just know I'm not looking down on you in any form because of where you are at today. Yeah. Um, and so I, if I act that way toward folks in financial need, folks in financial abundance, then I can have a conversation and say, hey... You know, um, there are people in need in our parish or there are people in need in our world. And maybe we can, I've never asked anybody to sell their house, but maybe we can, uh, you can help out in this particular way. I have some amazingly generous parishioners. Right. There's someone who seeks me out and hands me a check at the beginning of every month and says, we need to take care of our families. And I, oh, that's wow. um, really meaningful to me. Yeah. That that is a real priority. I think... Folks who self-select, there are three parishes in town, and the folks who self-select toward our parish tend to have the mentality of wanting to at least be in solidarity and wanting to grow together and wanting to be aware that we are one body who needs to take care of each other. Yeah, and 
as someone, I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm like, overall, and I'm making an assumption, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, your experience with the Catholic Church has been very positive. Mm-hmm. And... I'm very lucky in that, yeah. Right. Um, so w how do you deal with, like, what's going on now, and which I'm saying, it's, when I say now, I mean, it's just... The broader just now. now. Like, it's not like one event. It's a, yeah. um, a collection of events. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to, I mean, because I do, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. These things, these reports, grand jury reports and things like you said 2002 when you were a kid, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much that, um, how much you were aware of that at the time. It might have just kind of been a, been a blip and then mm -hmm. later on you're like, oh, that was a big deal. Um, or, like, I think that what happened last year mm -hmm. was, and I'm referring to the Pennsylvania grand jury report, yeah. um, regarding clergy, rape, um, and cover-up. It seems like a unique moment. I mean, I think it seemed like it's especially, um, you know, disruptive. Mm -hmm. And is, am I, and as someone who's working in the church, would you agree with that? Or was it, were you just like, well, we went through it before? And... So I think it's interesting. Some people sort of had that reaction. You're saying, oh, well, we went through this before. For me, it was super disruptive. I, for the parish, it was quite disruptive. I can't compare it to anything because, yeah, in 2002, I was in seventh grade. Um, but, but, but there's been subsequent revelations since then. Absolutely. Yeah, so. And uh, to have that sense of like, we fixed this and it's actually not fixed. And so that, that sort of pulls the rug out from under you in a way. Um, as a millennial who is, this is my first time going through this as an adult, uh, it is vastly different than anything I've had with reference to the church before. Mm -hmm. um, I... Yeah, I love the church. I love our faith. And it is sometimes, it is super painful and sometimes like physically painful to realize how badly we've done it. Right. Uh, or how badly people in authority have done it. How badly the hierarchy has messed up to preserve an image. Um, at the expense of real people. I mean, it flies in the face of that Franciscan Ministry of Presence that I was just talking about. Uh, let's just pretend everything is fine so that people see us in a particular way. That's not just, and it is not fair, and it's not being present and not treating folks as the image of God. Did you come in contact with people like at church who would talk to you about it or was it just more like a like a staff thing I guess that's the only way I can put it like other people like working in the church talking amongst themselves or like how did it you say it's disruptive was it per, just personally disruptive or how did it play it's out definitely personally disruptive yeah. I um and I also had parishioners talking to me about it to a smaller extent uh like I said I was kind of taken aback at how the staff was sort of like eh well that's sorry that came out wrong the staff was shocked and appalled um the pastor did make i think a good statement at the the week after he got up in front and said hey i am just as shocked and appalled as all of you and i don't have words question mm -hmm. are we really shocked i was some people might not have been you're it's not new. It's not new. That's true. 
It is. I mean, appalled. Yes. Appalled for sure. Um. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I was. Sho- I wasn't shocked that. You know, it was happening. Yeah. Sexual abuse happens, and that's horrifying. And that I could be appalled and maybe not shocked. The cover-up, I was, I was honestly shocked about. Right, like the extent and the extent of it. Yeah, yeah. I do think that people mm-hmm. that blew people's minds. Yeah, like Catholics and non-Catholics, just like, yeah. And you know, I think if you're. Uh, I hope people are shocked, at least to some extent, you know? I, I want us to have enough faith in the church to be shocked. At the same time, I want the church to be honest enough that maybe we wouldn't be shocked. I don't know. But I think, like, people my age and older, mm-hmm. or, I don't know, people, okay, like, you say this is the first time you dealt with it as an adult, and mm-hmm. you're really feeling it, And but for someone, you know, I'm in my 40s, I, my shocking moment was in 2002. Right, yeah. But it's like... 2005 was Philadelphia. Mm. Like another one came out in, in Altoona, from Altoona. I, I'm only talking about Pennsylvania because of where I'm, that's where I'm from. Right. Every, many other jurisdictions throughout the country and throughout the Catholic world mm-hmm. have come out with similar things in the ensuing years. Um, that I don't know how we can say that we're shocked. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is like I'm I'm like questioning my own shock. ostrich. You know what I'm saying? Like Head in the Jen, are you really that shocked? Yeah. You're not that mm-hmm. shocked. Yeah. Um, and how do we go forward from like, here's a non-shocking revelation, and we, and then we go to mass, and you go to your job um, mm-hmm. at the church. Like, what? How did that did that affect you? Or are you or do you have enough distance to be like, you know what? Like that's that, and this is me. And uh, how do you do? Like I know because also you said that. So the church gives you cover in the sense that you can live mm-hmm. your life according to your principles yeah um with like yeah i'm publicly doing this so it also mm-hmm. exposes you when things like this yeah come out so like is that a thing like is have you been like just how do you react to that question i don't know i uh several questions i know so. it's i just covered <laughs> a lot of ground there all as well <laughs> um so a thing so my job now i mean i oversee sort of the social ministries right uh and one thing that I, there were, we had a listening session at my parish. I took notes, I think. Yeah, I definitely. But a listening session Spanish. means what? Um, in our case, it was like folks having the opportunity to share where they were at, what concerns they had, if they wanted, if anything had happened that just hadn't come up, they, please tell us. Mm-hmm. kind of thing um, let out the sort of anger and desire and figure out what what you wanted to see happen next we end up we sent the we sent some of the notes from those listening sessions to the bishop the bishop also had several listening sessions and I got to attend one of those uh, where folks shared you know what has the result of this been in your parish is there anything else we need to know all of that where, where are you guys at that sort of stuff um, one thing I shared in one of those listening sessions was my non-Catholic friends never really most of them don't believe in the church but now they don't trust the church Yeah. my Catholic friends some of them don't currently trust the church but everybody 
trusts the food pantry. Hmm. I can go there. Yeah. You know, um, I can, there is on the ground physical ministries I can do that I know, I trust, I believe are the work of God, are the work that I'm called to, are the work that we must morally do. And even if I don't, even if I'm not on board with the whole church all the time, I know that. And so that is now my cover. Hmm. No, that's interesting. Um, when I tell people I work at a Catholic church, I often get two reactions. And this is true even before the, probably less true during all the revelations yeah, of last yeah. summer. But um, of the, yeah. Was one reaction was, oh, how cool. I go to X church and this is my faith journey. Mm-hmm. That's reaction A. And reaction B is like, I say I'd work at the Catholic church and they'd be like, what do you do? And I'd tell them. And they would say, oh, well, at least the church is still good for something. Right. Because there's a lot of folks who are jaded toward religion in general and toward Catholicism in particular. And so to hear that the church is still interested in working for a better world through justice and in helping the poor and marginalized and in visiting migrant camps or whatever the case may be, um, that's, that's something they can get on board with. And... So that gives me kind of the cover at the moment. But internally, how internally you, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> okay, well I'm just like so you you have that and you always know yeah. that that work is is it's ongoing, it's never going to end and like the mm-hmm. church has a good infrastructure to deal with it. it or not like end it. You're just like you said you're being present. Right. And you're saying, "Oh yeah. man, I can write a check today. I can give you something here today. Mm-hmm. I can hold your hand." Right. Um, like that is there. Yeah. That's eternal. That's like an eternal thing. As long as people are willing. The poor you will always have with well, you. Well, also that as long as people are willing to. To, to support. To, to be with the poor or to, mm-hmm. or to recognize themselves as the poor, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yes. So we know this is there. And that yeah. gives you co- cover and gives you work. Tons of work. Yes. But. Um, an honest work, if you will. There you go. I understand. Um, but, but you said to me when we talked earlier, you're like, I'm having some trouble. For sure. And I am. And that's, that's hard. Um, yeah. So like around, yeah, I, I have been struggling in my faith and it sort of crystallized in this moment with the, uh, grand jury report from Pennsylvania and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it's been... I believe that there is moral truth, right? Okay. I believe that... I, I think I told you, I can still say the creed and and honestly. Right. So there, like you believe like there is an objective moral truth. Right. And the church, like on paper, mm-hmm. like stands for that. And you're going to go back to that and be like, actually, it's and wrong because of Jesus Trump, is, APC. And Jesus is with the church and Jesus still loves us, crazy right. though that may be. And that's where I need to find um, whatever. But it's been a struggle to kind of find Jesus and to trust the church in its real and concrete form, the institutional church, maybe my parish, maybe one priest, maybe this or that, but uh, the church as a whole in its institutional form to 
bring me closer to that reality. Um, and it's just been hard to find a relationship with God. And when I've had challenging moments finding that relationship in the past, I can go back to the church and it can be mediated through the sacraments and that has been a gift and a grace. And these days, that doesn't feel authentic. Um, or I still believe that there is grace there and I still believe that that's authentic, but it, it, it isn't helping. <laughs> oh, so you mean like you, you receive the sacraments but it doesn't give you like the, the comfort or surety that it did once. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's working below the surface. It's gotta be, I trust it is, but there is this lack of connection. Uh, with God. So this, it's, it is perhaps even separate from the abuse crisis in the church, but this lack of connection with God, this, this feeling of absence in that relationship. Um, and then if you can't even trust the church, then we're like, what the heck are you supposed to do? So you, lack of, so the absence of trust, is that what you said? So in my relationship with God, just a sense of absence, like I just can't find God. Oh, so this is like, and this then, is like you, this is you me, and God, me and God. You're not really feeling it right now. Exactly. It's not happening. And, okay. okay. And this is new for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In the last year and a half, probably like it, it definitely started before all of the, all of the grand jury report, mm -hmm. sex abuse crisis, reemergence, um, and disingenuity in the church in general. But that was always my safety net. Okay. I guess, yeah, there the have been, there've been days, weeks when I have felt an absence in my relationship with God and I can just go to the church and the communal body can lift it up and I'll be grand. Um, and that isn't a reliable safety net for me right now because yeah, the church as a whole, as an institution, as a hierarchy hasn't behaved in a way that makes me trust them. So and or makes me hope for a better future for the church. I do, but not necessarily with the sincerity that I want. Swears and Prayers podcast is brought to you by me, Jen Mediano, and producer Erica Gregory at Scout Creative Agency in Charlottesville.